0: Virginia Tech took care of business against Wofford and turns its attention to a Thursday night home game against West Virginia. UVA got past Old Dominion and now braces for some familiar faces Friday night in Syracuse. We'll talk about that and a whole lot more, including some sports betting insight from Front Page Bets GM Mike Svetits this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 89 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times Dispatch, and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC Sports Podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me as always, my co-host, the 14-time Sports Writer of the Year, and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, my friend?
1: Good afternoon. I'm doing well, Mike. Hope you're the same.
0: I am struggling, David, because I'm living every reporter's nightmare. I lost my digital voice recorder. and with it, uh, at least six stories that (laughs) were either going to be future projects or two of them that were going to be this week. And uh, it is the worst feeling. And David, we've looked everywhere. I I recruited my kids. My wife's been involved. Uh, We've tore tore the house apart, tore the cars apart, uh, just looked anywhere we can imagine. And we we just threw a a desperation Hail Mary. I figure the best chance we have of finding it is if I buy a new one. So I I just ordered a new one. My, my wife is my wonderful wife is out. She's going to pick it up on her way home from another errand. And uh, I assume that the minute we have possession of the new recorder, we'll, we'll find the old one. But right now it's been uh, it's been the story that's dominated our week.
1: Did you leave it in the press box? You
0: no, know, I didn't have it Saturday. That's when I know. Oh, it. so it, it, somewhere between interviews Wednesday and leaving to pack up for the game Saturday the UVA old Dominion game it disappeared and, and the crazy thing is I didn't go anywhere like I go in the mornings and I play pickleball at, at, at a local racket club here um, I walk the dogs around the neighborhood I wouldn't have brought it with me for either of those so um the only theory I have now is that I, I maybe I touched it after eating some Doritos or some white cheddar popcorn and it became palatable
1: to one of the dogs I uh, <laughs> I was going to mention, it seemed so preposterous and almost in jest, I was going to (laughs) ask that.
0: David, it's the only thing we have left. I've looked in the grease trap for the griddle where we make the pancakes. I've looked literally any time I pass a space that a recorder could fit into, I look no matter how ridiculous. uh, I've opened up the back of the toilets. Mind you, I have a three-year-old son, so there really is no limit to where if he picked it up and moved it, it could be. Uh, but he's pretty adamant that that we you know we showed him pictures of what we're looking for, and he's pretty adamant that he hasn't seen it. So, uh, like I said, that's kind of dominated my week because I've lost so much, and um, hopefully, I can I can kind of rally here and and still be productive this week. And uh, being productive, David, that's the theme right now for the Virginia offense, which. Man, they were, they were productive a year ago. <laughs> they were prolific a year ago, and now they're just not where they were. And Another tight one this past weekend with Old Dominion. They found a way to pull it out, but uh, drop passes, struggled offensive line play. Even Brendan Armstrong at times looks a little off. David, what do you see that's amiss with this Virginia offense?
1: Mike, Saturday was strange because it it's not like Virginia struggled to move the football. I mean, more than 500 yards, 6.3 yards a snap. Now, is that 7.0 like last season? No, but that's still pretty darn good. I mean, clearly the, the issue Saturday was turnovers. You can't lose three fumbles, two in the red zone, uh, and and expect to, to score a ton of points and win comfortably. And sure enough, they need Brendan Farrell to, to kick, albeit a short field goal, but on the last play of the game. And, you know, ask Miami against UVA last year if that's a sure thing. That's right. Yeah, it didn't pan out very well for the Hurricanes down in South Beach last season. But, wow, it, it was a whole lot closer than it needed to be.
0: Yeah. And you're absolutely right about the turnovers and the red zone in general, um, settling for field goal chances. And yep. then it's just, um, again, it's a different offense. It's a different approach, but um, you know, Tony Elliott said conservatively, they left 20 points out, out there. It, it may have been more than that. And I, you know, I'm writing a story right now about drop passes, which has been something that's plagued them through three games here. And, um, yeah, you know, I was talking to Marcus Hagens, who who is, by his own admission, a very tough grader. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, he, he's he had about ten. 10- drops on his group. I think that's a little high, but certainly there were five or six uh, very catchable balls that, that went off their hands and just watch the opening drive. And it was interesting speaking with Des Kitchings. He said, you know, we wanted to come out and take some deep shots down the field and get Brennan Armstrong and that offense feeling good again. And uh, the very first play of the game, they ran a, a deep sideline route up to Dontavian Wicks. He adjusts, come back a little bit for a ball that, that maybe was a little underthrown, hits him in the hands as he's coming down to the ground and he just can't, keep a grasp on it um later in the drive Lavelle Davis has a deep out go off his fingertips Wicks drops another one after a great Mike Collins blitz pickup and
1: yeah uh, that's that second Wicks drop brutal that one (laughs) you circle in red because the first two okay yes you expect them to catch it but several times out of 10, you're not going to. The second wicks drop, it's like there's nobody around and it's a perfectly thrown ball.
0: Yeah. And again, those are the kind of things. Now, they were making plays a year ago on the balls that are, you know, six out of 10 catches. They -hmm. were coming down with all of those. Right now, to your point, they're dropping some that should be 10 out of 10 catches. um, And they just can't afford that. And, and, you know, Tony Elliott brought up the point when I asked him about this, that the receiving core isn't particularly deep. um, And it's not, right? We know the big four. We know Wicks. We know Keaton Thompson. uh, We know Billy Kemp. uh, And we know Lavelle Davis. But after that, they really don't have a receiver that they're comfortable putting out there. Domeek Starling, who had the big kick return... Uh Des Kitchen says he's the closest to kind of cracking that rotation. But, um, you know, right now, that is a huge problem. They have 54 pass receptions this season. 41 of them have come from the big four, the guys we just named. And, and Kemp was out for this game, which yeah, was, yeah. made things even harder, right? The, the only other wide receiver to catch a ball, Luke Wentz, had a five-yard catch against Richmond in the opener. That's it. That's it for guys. Other who are who are wide receivers catching the football. It, it's and because of that, the big four are playing a ton of snaps this past weekend. The big three playing a ton of snaps, and, and Elliot wonders if there isn't some fatigue setting into for that group.
1: Yeah, I think it's a fair question. Then you you look on on the flip side. You know how often in the last three years have four years have folks wondered about UVA developing a traditional run game. Right. Well, lo and behold on Saturday, Xavier Brown and Parrish Jones combined for 144 yards on twenty carries. That's productive.
0: Yeah, there is balance that they're looking for. You mentioned the total yards over five hundred yards. Mm-hmm. So so there are some reasons to be optimistic about this offense. And and it did feel it did feel Saturday like they made a lot of progress from the Illinois game. And Oh
1: well, low bar there.
0: Exactly. Exactly, but we might be fetting them and, and throwing parades for the offense if not for the turnovers and, and mm-hmm. the miss red zone and the drops. Yes. Um, I mean, it, it feels like they were on the verge of a 49-point game um, to go with those. I mean, that, that's the point total that you think when you go over 500 yards, right? I mean, the way they were moving the ball, um, but again, the mistakes just didn't get it. And David, an, another thing, I think Old Dominion deserves some credit. They're a tough out, right? Mm-hmm. We saw them beat Tech, Um they had some issues the following week, but 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 I think this is a good old Dominion team, a capable old Dominion team, uh, and a team that that tests you on both sides of the ball, really.
1: Yeah, I I was impressed just with you know they they just hung around and hung around, mm-hmm. and they, they've got some confidence from from the Virginia Tech game. And you know, de- defensively they were they were aggressive, and they did force those turnovers. They got hats to the to the football, and then when they really needed them, you know, Hayden Wolf, Zach Coons, and Ali Jennings stepped up, and they 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 had Mike 58 yards of offense on their first five possessions of the second half, and then they go 80. For the go ahead touchdown to make it 14 13 with 101 remaining. And their only mistake was leaving Brennan Armstrong 61 seconds in a timeout
0: what did it feel it felt like exactly the script from the virginia tech game yeah right they they hung around they took advantage of mistakes they they did everything right but they couldn't could never get control and then all of a sudden a couple big plays at the end uh and they're in position to win it it really felt like it was playing out exactly the same way the tech game did the only difference as you mentioned that uh with the time left this time armstrong was able to to get points on the board where virginia tech wasn't was not able to do that. Well, Virginia is going to need to put up some points. I would imagine Friday night at whatever it's called. I still call it the carrier dome. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was the carrier dome when I was at Rutgers. It was the carrier dome when I started down here and it'll probably remain the carrier dome for a long time for me. But uh, Virginia goes up to to face a surprising Syracuse team, uh, a team that with Garrett Schrader at quarterback is really putting up some points and putting up some points in, in a familiar way to Virginia fans because Robert and I and Jason Beck, the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach uh, from Virginia last season. They're on staff at Syracuse now, and they're doing, David, a lot of the same things they did with Armstrong and company. Uh, they're just doing it now with a better run game to support them with, with Sean Tucker.
1: Yeah, I was going to say it helps to have number 34 in in the backfield to, to open things up for Garrett Schrader and, and the receivers. And, and props to Schrader, you know, he did not have his, his most productive passing game on Saturday against Purdue. But much like Brennan Armstrong against Old Dominion, when it mattered, when they had to go down the field and win the game, he produced and threw some absolute dimes.
0: Yeah, if you, if you didn't get to see that game, that was a wild, we had some wild fourth quarters around college football. That was a wild fourth quarter. We were watching that, uh, in the press box at mm-hmm. halftime of the Virginia Odu game and the touchdown pass that Schrader threw to Aronde Gadsden, uh, yep. for the win. What a perfect, I mean, it hit, it hit him yes. in stride over the shoulder. Um, it looked like some of those big explosives that Brandon Armstrong and Wicks had a year ago. So, uh, David, I think you know Syracuse is interesting. They, they came into the year. Dino Babers very much a, a hot seat guy. Um, what were they going to be? The expectations were not particularly high for this team, despite bringing Tucker back and, and Schrader with a year under his belt. Uh, they've been one of the surprises in the ACC right now.
1: Yeah. You mentioned the 3-0 start and the very impressive season opener where they just waxed Louisville up there at, at the Dome. So the Orange is going to be looking for a, for a 2-0 and ACC start. And Mike, who would have ever thought Bas- <laughs> basketball schools, Kansas, Duke, Syracuse, North Carolina, Kentucky, Indiana, and UCLA are a combined 21-0 and this football yeah. season.
0: Yeah, it's just gonna just gonna make things more interesting in Kentucky, where you got the Calipari and Stoops. Uh, <laughs> right? Are you a football school? Are you a basketball school? Uh, hey, who knows? Maybe there's room to, to be both. I know we've always talked about that at, at Virginia Tech. And uh, can you can you be both? Uh, it, it's it is an interesting turnaround, and I think a very a, a game that was already. I think a challenging game for Virginia to go on the road to play a Friday night uh, to have those coaching connections, Um, but then you you factor in the fact that Syracuse is playing pretty darn well. Uh, This will be a very interesting game. I'm not sure how I see this one unfolding Friday night.
1: I'm not either. I I think Virginia or excuse me, Syracuse is a fairly sizable favorite in the seven to eight eight point range. Correct. I I think when when I saw it open, but Virginia's defense has has played well or did certainly did play well Saturday. I thought Aaron Famui was Mm. exceptional against Old Dominion. Just the, the, the pressure that he was able to put on Hayden Wolf. The big difference though, Mike, is Hayden Wolf is stationary. Correct. Garrett Schrader is not. Because, I mean, and he, he's had some really, really important rushing plays for Syracuse. And that's going to, Virginia is not going to be able to just pin the ears back and just bull rush straight ahead. They're going to have to be very disciplined on Friday night.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned Schrader is very capable as a runner. And if you look through the game so far, the moments he picks, I mean, they're big. they're big moments. They're third down conversions, keeping drives alive, getting you into scoring zone. Um, he has he seems to have a really good feel for what they're trying to do with him offensively. And, hey, I mean, maybe we can say he's pretty well coached. We, we were impressed with the work those guys did at Virginia, and, and I think uh, it's probably time to be impressed with some of what they're doing up there at Syracuse.
1: Agreed. I, I think if you're Brennan Armstrong in the offense, you take some encouragement – by what Aiden O'Connell and Purdue uh-huh. were able to do Saturday up there. I think O'Connell threw for more than 400 yards. Game. And that's what people have grown accustomed to from Brennan Armstrong. Do we see that Friday night?
0: Well, it's interesting. You know, I, I wrote about the idea uh, in my column this week that that maybe they need to pull the reins off a little bit. On Armstrong and kind of let him freelance, let him wing it, because it feels like some of the explosive plays they generated a year ago um, had a little more improvisation. And certainly that was the system that that Anaya was running at Virginia. It's different than what Elliott and Kitchens want to do. Um, We mentioned the strive for balance and running the football. but man, I don't know if there's many things harder to defend than Brennan Armstrong with these receivers when things kind of break down. And uh, (laughs) I I don't know how you call that, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I don't think you want to tell this offensive line, hey, blow blow your coverage, because they're already blowing enough assignments right now as it is. But it just feels like that offense is missing, that improvisation, that winging it, freelancing. Um, I think they would benefit from that, especially in this matchup.
1: Thank you. You're probably right. But there are a few opportunities for those types of plays, Mike. Virginia ran it 45 times yeah. on Saturday. That's a lot, especially when you compare it to the last few seasons in Charlottesville.
0: And long term. So people are clear. Long term, I think what they're doing makes more sense for an offense, to to have this system, to have these progressions and these reads, uh, to find that balance. But this year, with Armstrong, with these receivers, i I just like to see them cut loose a little more. Before we move on, for the record, it's the JMA wireless dome. in
1: Ah.
0: Now, I I wanted to look that up because uh, while it will always be the carrier dome, just like Brendan Byrne Arena in New Jersey is... I don't know if it's Continental Airlines now or what it will always be Brendan Byrne and, and the Carrier Dome will always. But the official name now, the JMA Wireless Dome, is where Virginia is headed uh, Friday night and and. and- meeting up with those former coaches you had a chance to catch up with a former Virginia coach Bronco Mendenhall you spent what 40 45 minutes chatting yeah. with him for a column uh really interesting stuff if you haven't found it it's still up on richmond.com uh, as are all of David's columns but David one of the things that, that jumped out was Bronco essentially saying he, he's ready to to jump back into <laughs> to coaching in college football which I think when he stepped away most people predicted would, would happen at some point uh how soon do you think Bronco Mendenhall wants to be back on the sidelines?
1: As soon as possible. I, I really do, Mike. Um, he launched this podcast with an outfit called D1 Ticker Connect. Uh, Brian Fisher produces and hosts their pods, and he's really good. I've, I've been on with him a couple times. And this all happened in connection through Craig Littlepage, the AD at Virginia who hired uh, Bronco Mendenhall back in 2016. And they've been in touch since Bronco resigned. And Mendenhall called him about six weeks ago and said, I got the itch. What do you think I should do? And Littlepage kind of thought, well, why don't we get you out there a little bit? And, Craig is doing some consulting for Todd Turner's search firm called or Sports associates. They're connected with D one ticker. So next thing you know, they have this podcast idea and they launch it. And Bronco was very transparent. He said, the reason he's doing this is to get himself out there. So he'll have a wider audience rather than just, popping onto his Twitter and saying, Yeah, I'm available if anybody's interested. This allows folks to to listen to him, see if they like his ideas, because we all know Bronco's a little different in court, you
0: mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> He's an acquired taste. But uh, I think he wants to coach next season. And we already know one job or two power five jobs <clears throat> that are open west of the Mississippi in Nebraska and Arizona State. Colorado certainly looks like it's headed that way. Uh, if not during the season, then certainly after. Uh, I could see Bronco Mendenhall at any of those three places.
0: Yeah, it's really, really fascinating. You mentioned he, he is, he's a different guy. This is a different approach, right? Normally yeah. you want to get back into coaching and, and you know, your agent you know, mm-hmm. kind of reaches out and, and we sure. don't hear about it for, for a couple months, right? Or maybe he gets a job and that's when we find out Oh, wow. He was interested in coming back and uh, credit to Bronco and staying on brand for Bronco to doing it a, a very different way. Uh, <laughs> Bronco is coming back. We don't know where, but uh, and it'll be interesting to see uh, you know, uh, how Virginia fans receive that, because um, he certainly didn't take much time off uh, when he said he wanted to, to step away and kind of regroup and refocus and, and all the things he talked about um I think fans who felt like uh, maybe he was just leaving Virginia, this probably throws a little fuel on that fire. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, had he spent four years away from the game, um, would be different. But also, I think you spend three, four years away from the game, it becomes a little bit harder to All get right. back in it, doesn't it?
1: Mm-hmm. Sure it does. So- now, 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 Mac Brown would be the yeah. would be the counter to that. But yeah, the longer you're away the more likely it is some folks will forget about you.
0: And and I, you know, I've, I've said this many times. I, I thought Bronco was an odd hire for Virginia. I thought he was very successful. Um, mm-hmm. He overcame what I saw as, as a, really hard to overcome obstacle and being a West coast guy, not having roots and connections, uh, here on, on the East coast in the Virginia area, he overcame that and he rebuilt the program to the point where, uh, Tony Elliott wanted this job. (laughs) Um, you know, I think he deserves a ton of credit for that, but I do think lifestyle wise, a lot of things he just fits, uh, you know, back on the West Coast, and and um, I always wondered if maybe that wasn't kind of where he was headed, and and certainly uh, would make sense if that's where he lands now. And I think I speak for for you and I both, so we'll wish him well there. Because
1: we yeah, I, spirit, right, I, I, Mike, I think college football is better. Yeah, with Bronco Mendenhall around, I we we never know these coaches. Uh, we we can watch them for years and years and not really know them. But my sense is that Bronco Mendenhall is authentic and genuine and truly cares about the young men he coaches, not just between the lines. And when when you have that kind of heart and those kinds of values, I think they belong in the game.
0: Yeah, and you know, I, I think there is this continuing kind of, you know, not to be over dramatic, but people call it the the battle for college football's soul. Uh, <laughs> you know, he's he's on the right side of that battle, so you, you'd like to see him certainly uh, in the fight. Now, uh, Virginia Tech didn't didn't face much of a fight uh, <laughs> Saturday with, with Wofford. Uh, expected uh, comfortable victory there. But some good things, I thought, for the Hokies out of it. Number one, Grant Wells looking sharper. Uh, we saw some depth emerging at wide receiver. I think we're really seeing the the beginnings of the, the base of, of what could be a really special defensive unit. Uh, David, what stood out to you about the Hokies' win over Wofford?
1: A couple of things, Mike. One, no turnovers. Mm-hmm. Second consecutive week after the fiasco at Old Dominion, where the five giveaways doomed the, the Hokies in their opener. So no turnovers, Grant Wells slinging it around. And you mentioned the depth at wide receiver, which they need and needed, especially on Saturday, not because of the opponent, but because Caleb Smith went out again with an injury and was unavailable for more than half the game. And all you know, you got guys like Jaden Blue and Steven Gosnell and Christian Moss, and even to an extent, Gallo at tight end. You know, they combined for more than 200 receiving yards on Saturday. And, And again, it's a it's a poor FCS opponent. But if if that can continue, if they can build upon that, then the offense has a chance. The task then becomes finding a running game because they did not have one much to speak of at least against Wofford.
0: Yeah, and Malachi Thomas is still out. He'll he'll be a, a game time decision. It sounds like. And uh, Keyshawn
1: King missed the game.
0: Keyshawn King missed this one. So yep. Uh, you don't even have the you kind of had this sense that Virginia Tech was going to be that running back by committee ride the hot hand approach that we'd seen for so many years under under Frank and, and Shane Beamer uh, when Shane was coaching that position but you haven't even had that because you you can only ride the available hand right, uh, right. so it, it will be I think the I think it's fair to say that the jury's still out on the running game and and you know, you might say three games in that that's, that's not a good sign, but, but there have been some reasons uh, why we just don't have a good sense of what they can do running the football right now.
1: No, we don't. You know, Keyshawn King had the 65-yard burst against Boston College, but that was pretty much it that evening. So a lot, lot left to to see. Uh, and you mentioned Malachi Thomas. Sure sounds like he's a long shot for Thursday But man, they're going to need him moving forward. Uh, You know, they got their conference, or not their conference opener, they already played BC, but conference road opener, October 1st at North Carolina, having him back for that would be key.
0: Yeah, a stretch of some tough offenses starting Thursday night with West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, West Virginia's got a lot of problems. I get that, but scoring the football isn't one of them. No. Uh, JT Daniels, that Neil Brown offense, they've looked really good. Virginia Tech defensively, David, I think has looked really good. I'm excited for the, for this matchup. I'm excited for uh, offense versus defense uh, of, of this caliber.
1: Yeah, new coordinator in Morgantown in Graham Harrell who's obviously got NFL experience. He's got collegiate head coaching experience. You know, he was a terrific quarterback in his own right at Texas tech. He was with JT Daniels at Southern California. So there's a relationship there and I'm sure they are comfortable together. And that's what Dax Howfield was, was, was telling us today during the Virginia tech zoom is that, Schematically, this is an offense that's pretty similar to last season when the Mountaineers beat the Hokies up in Morgantown. But the big difference is at quarterback, and Daniels is just a much better passer.
0: Yeah, and we all know it in college football these days that position makes things go. If you don't have that, uh, you're not going anywhere. Now, there is a lot on the West Virginia defensive side that Virginia Tech could potentially exploit. Uh, it will be interesting to see what style of a game, but but this does feel like, it certainly feels like it could be a shootout type game. Um, maybe Virginia Tech's defense surprises and, and it is smothering uh, in a way that it's tough to do with this West Virginia offense. But David, do you have, do you have a sense of what kind of a game we're going to see? You and I are both going to be there Thursday night. What kind of a night are we in for?
1: I'll be surprised, Mike, if it's, if it's one of those games in the teens like we saw in Charlottesville on Saturday between Virginia and Old Dominion. I think, I think both offenses are, are going to do some damage. And not to put too much on a non-conference game, but I think this is important for the Hokies. I like think Virginia Tech has not beaten a Power 5 opponent out of conference since 2017. West Virginia in the opener at FedEx Field. That's the last time it happened. I just believe that it's a big game for Virginia Tech. And oh, by the way, it's a big game for the Mountaineers because, heck, just last week, West Virginia athletic director Shane Lyons had to put out a statement, basically saying, "Look, I know we're not good enough, but you know we're supporting Neil Brown. You know, you know the drill. There, that's not a good sign. Neil Brown's coaching for his job this season, and and
0: David, all of that added to the fact that." I know it's not what it was. This is a pretty good rivalry, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, a regional rivalry, a rivalry that goes back to the Big East days, a rivalry that's had some very meaningful games. Uh, two places, uh, we've covered games in both of these venues, two places that are tough to play. So this this atmosphere-wise has a chance to be really good. David, we weren't at the Wofford game. We were at UVA Old Dominion, but in 11 o'clock kickoff, Yep, And it looked like the crowd really brought the energy. Dax Holyfield mentioned that today in the media availability that he thanked the fans, especially the student section for coming out for the early game and the you know lackluster opponent. And if that was the juice at Lane Stadium for 11 a.m. against Wofford, David, Thursday night against West Virginia should be yeah. nuts.
1: Yeah, it's, it's going to jump for sure, much like it did against Boston College. But I wasn't paying Real close attention to the Wofford-Virginia Tech game Saturday. But someone came up to me in the press box. I don't think it was you, but mentioned that from the television shots, they didn't think there were many empty seats at all. And they, too, were surprised. They're like, that's an 11 o'clock kick. They're playing Wofford. And it's just packed jack in there. So, I mean, good on those folks. They appear bought in on Brent Pry.
0: And we've talked a ton on this podcast about this, and you mentioned Bronco and being genuine. I think Brent Pry is genuine in his passion for the job. I think he enjoys, you wrote wrote about this, he enjoys being the front man of this band. Oh, yeah. He enjoys being the ringleader of this circus, all of those things, being out on the drill field for the snowball fight like... I think he has a keen sense that it's important, but I think he also enjoys that stuff. I think it comes naturally to him to do those things. And that's probably part of the reason the buy-in is where it is. Now, you got to win, you got to play well, all those things. But David, I mean, generations of Virginia Tech football players will tell you and have told us, hey, it's easier to win at Lane Stadium when it's juiced, mm-hmm. when, when it's rocking from enter Sandman till the end. And there is a value. And, and, and I'm not saying say, I understand that if you're a fan, uh, sometimes – you know, butts in the seats have to be earned. But if you can put the, the cart before the horse, so to speak, and get out there before they really show you anything, you know, it feels like the fan base at Tech can be part of jump-starting what, what Brent Price is trying to do. And, and I'm really looking forward to Thursday night. I, I, think, I think they're going to put on quite a show.
1: First visit for West Virginia to Blacksburg since the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. It's been a long, long time.
0: And people are ready for it. And, and how about West Whoa. Virginia? How about West Virginia getting, so they get the backyard brawl in Pittsburgh this year.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: They, they get that long-term rivalry back. They get this game. So uh, if you're a, a West Virginia, nostalgic West Virginia fan, um, I don't know what your team's going to deliver you. Right. <laughs> but but certainly the schedule is giving you the opportunity to really uh, enjoy WVU football right now.
1: No question. <laughs> Harkening back to the Big East.
0: Those were, those were my days. I have a cup somewhere around here. Maybe that's where I put my recorder. Maybe it's in the cup uh, that had the old (laughs) big East Had all the old big East schools and the basketball only's on one side and the football basketball on the other. And, uh, who knew that? Who knew that when I was, we'll say, drinking coffee out of that in college, I probably wasn't drinking <laughs> coffee out of it, but we'll say coffee. Who knew that when I was drinking out of that, it would become a, a an artifact, a relic of a of a bygone past? But right, I
1: st- I still have Mike a pullover that says Big East football on it. There you go. That is a collector's item because Biggie's be football thing. does not exist.
0: That used to be a thing. Well, no, he's the best, but it used to be a thing. And, and it had some great brands and it had some great rivalries. And, and mm-hmm. this is certainly one of them. Well, we are joined now by Mike Sveditz, GM of Front Page Bets, here to give us a little betting advice for this week's slate of college games, particularly here in the Commonwealth. And, Mike, let's let's jump right into it with uh, what was once a great rivalry, the Black Diamond Trophy, all, all the fun, the, the Thursday night, uh, all of that. I don't know if it factors in. West Virginia is a three-point favorite visiting Virginia Tech. How do you see that one?
2: yeah, I think uh, I think that's right. I, I might actually think West Virginia might be a little bit more of a favorite uh, looking at kind of their season versus you know Virginia Tech season. Um, you know, West Virginia start off the season with that great game against Pittsburgh to open up, you know, the 2022 college football season on that Thursday night. And, you know, obviously losing to Kansas, um, you know, <laughs> but who would have thought Kansas would be 3-0 right now? So, you know, you know, you lose to Kansas in a shootout and then obviously you you beat Clemson pretty, pretty or I'm sorry, Towson pretty bad, you know, this past week, 65-7. to And, um, you know, now you go on the road again to, to Blacksburg. And I think, you know, Virginia Tech always plays Tough at home Thursday night. You know, it's a it's a it's kind of made made for you know TV for Virginia Tech, you know, there. Um but I just like West Virginia is just you know, the fans are getting restless there in in um you know at West Virginia, but I think it's I think it's this is a team with Neil Brown that that has a lot of potential. Uh, Daniel's a quarterback I think they got a lot of offensive firepower um, and Virginia Tech you know has, has struggled this year you know and 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 I think it's no surprise that they're not favored at home but I think three is actually pretty close that line might actually move a little bit it's already moved it was two and a half earlier today when I was looking at it and now it's at three so and I and, you know 53 points over under I think you know West Virginia is capable of scoring 50 points by themselves so I think you know if you're if you're looking at West Virginia settling into their offense you know having something to prove going to Blacksburg I think you know you I like I like West Virginia here I like the over um you know and Virginia Tech's got to figure something out real quick even though they beat Wofford it's you know this is a season and Mike you know you 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 cover them and you watch them more than I do but uh we knew it was going to be a struggle this year but I they have not impressed me at all um so far this year and they're going to need to figure something out against West Virginia on Thursday
0: yeah it's interesting that the numbers that Vegas put out there kind of screams to me like um like they're expecting Virginia tech's defense to hold West Virginia down. This to be a, a real close field goal type game. And, uh, you know, just n- not, not exactly the way, like right. you just said, not exactly the way I would picture it, uh, unfolding, but, but we've learned before never to never to doubt those people out in the desert. Uh, at the same time, a number that I thought w- was crazy low for an over under Syracuse and Virginia. And, and I know Virginia's offense has looked terrible this year, but you have to imagine that Brendan Armstrong going up against his old coaches. Uh, we've seen what those old coaches, Robert and I and Jason Becker are, are doing up there with the offense, with the orange, uh, the over-under is 54 and a half in, in, in this one. Uh, Cuse is a nine and a half point favorite. Mike, what, what do you like in the Virginia at Syracuse Friday night game?
2: Well, Again, until Virginia shows, it can really actually hang in, in, in there with people. I think, you know, And and Syracuse coming off that that big win last second win against Purdue in the Carrier Dome, you know they and 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 Dino Babers where he was on the hot seat coming into this year, you know what I mean? It was it was put up or shut up time for Syracuse and they're and they're putting up right now, you know three consecutive wins. You know Louisville's not very good, obviously UConn, um, but beating Purdue at home was a big win for them. And then now you got Virginia on a Friday night, and I think you know the swagger that they're playing with coming off that big you know, game against Purdue. And one of two things can happen. You know, they, they come in, they keep the momentum or, you know, they kind of, they're drained from that big win and they, and they have a letdown against Virginia. Um, you know, and, and t- speaking of a team that hasn't really impressed, you know, Virginia has, has struggled this year big time. I think that they've, they've, uh, you know, getting past ODU, barely getting past ODU this past weekend. And and let's face it, ODU is a good football team, you know, not taking anything away from them. But when you're Virginia playing at home, you don't, you don't have to go on a last second field goal to beat ODU. You shouldn't have to, um, especially after all the talent that you have on offense. Um, going to Illinois and losing bad there, um, you know, you're really only convincing winning was against Richmond, you know, an FCS school um, at home. So, you, if you're Virginia, going as a nine-and-a-half-point underdog on the road to Syracuse in a primetime game on a Friday night, um, you know, y- you got to, again, figure something out. And, I, you know, Brendan Armstrong, I still like him. I like that offense. They've just got to – they've got to find an identity. And I know Tony Elliott wants to balance it out, run the football – do all that stuff, those guys need to start throwing football. And I think you wrote about it pretty concisely this weekend. You know, Brendan Armstrong's got to create, and he's got to be able to – you know, sometimes you got to take the the handcuffs off him and let him just do what he does. And I think if you're going to beat Syracuse on the road, you're going to have to see that. But I don't know, nine and a half is a lot of points there, um, you know, especially Syracuse coming off that emotional win. But I think Syracuse wins – covering that nine and a half, it's going to be a stretch, especially if the offensive Virginia does figure something out.
0: Yeah. You know, that's a number right there that if you had told me in the preseason, Virginia would be a nine and a half point underdog going up to Syracuse, I would have probably put the mortgage there yep. but Syracuse has been surprisingly good in Virginia it's not even just disappointing but you're right it's almost a different identity like mm-hmm. they they are this defense first uh possess the football kind of team that's uh, just very very different from from what we've seen mike i thought that line was a little big but we've seen some giant numbers on the board from vegas and the one that jumped out to me and i understand Yukon's terrible but north carolina state a 39 point favorite against yukon 39 points to me for for NC State they, that just doesn't seem like a program that is at that caliber, right Alabama, Clemson, Oklahoma, they get those wins where, where they you know they win by 35, they win by 40. NC State just doesn't have that feel, but we've seen a few of those numbers on the board uh, this year from Vegas.
2: We have, and we've seen, you know, 51. I think Michigan was a 51-point favorite against Hawaii two weeks ago. You know, and you're seeing this massive numbers. And I don't know if it's how much of, of we don't know about UConn and what we think we know about North Carolina State. I mean, coming into the season, North Carolina State was my pick to really make a difference in the ACC to challenge Clemson for the conference championship. And, and you know, they've got a veteran quarterback in Leary. They've got guys that can play. Um, but, yeah, that 39-and-a-half that um, – you know, it's, it's, it's again, and, and I've been burned enough so far this year where, you know, anything over like 14 points, I'm staying away from right now, because it's just, you just can't, you can't put your finger on how these kids are going to come out and play, you know, and and you got to remember, there's still, you know, 18 to 22 year old young men out there running around and, and, and you just don't know what's going to happen. And we've seen some craziness in college football so far this year. And if you look at, you know, North Carolina barely getting past ECU, which is another good football team on the road. Um, you know, handling Texas Tech. Um, yeah, I, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't mess with that line. You know what I mean? If you're if you want to pick, you know, North Carolina State on the money line, which isn't much value, that's one thing. But to mess with the 39, 39 and a half points, that's just a little bit too much at this point.
0: Right, I, I agree. I mean, I, you kind of look at the teams, you look at the rosters, and you say, okay, yeah, NC State maybe is five or six touchdowns better, but that that doesn't mean that's the way it's going to play out on a Saturday afternoon. Exactly. And, uh, that's a big big number to cover. But you've you've given us some good pointers, pointed us in the right direction. Take the advice uh, as you will. I I, I think. Uh, We've all seen. We maybe need a few more weeks here before we
2: really get a great feel right uh, yeah. on some of these teams. But you got to keep riding with Kansas, though three and So just keep rolling, with Kansas. And anybody who App State plays, you just gotta go. You gotta
0: that's, go with App State. Hey, who who would have thought that the game that everybody's got circled on their calendar this weekend is is Kansas and Duke? That's yeah. uh, <laughs> right. circled on your preseason calendar, that's I'm it. sure. Well, that's Mike Sveditz, GM from Front Page Bets. Thanks for joining us, Mike. All right, thanks, Mike. All right, David. Well, let's take a look around the ACC. And you mentioned it earlier with Syracuse and and Duke (laughs) and the basketball powers that are getting something done. Florida State, to me, also among the surprise undefeateds at this point. Uh, Of those three, Florida State, Syracuse, and Duke, undefeated at this moment. Who do you think's got the staying power to, to have a season? I'm not saying an undefeated season, but to, at the end of the year have, have really uh, turned things around uh, the most quickly, have the most success of those three.
1: Florida State. Yeah. Simply because two things, Mike. Number one, who the Noles have already beaten. <laughs> you, know, you, you go to New Orleans and, and beat LSU, and then you go to Louisville, and get your best defensive player, Jared Verse, the transfer from from Albany up front, and he gets hurt. And then your starting quarterback, Jordan Travis, goes down, and you're thinking, okay, going to be a long night for Florida State. But no, Tate Rodemaker, the backup, comes in, and he just starts leaning on Johnny Wilson, that huge transfer receiver from Arizona State. And granted, Louisville did them a, a lot of favors, but wow, what a terrific win for Florida State on the road last Friday night! So you, you put those things together—that just that ability to, to to come back, and that resilience, and the fact that they've already beaten those quality opponents—I think Florida State's got the best chance to sustain it.
0: Yeah it's interesting you know the ACC's Atlantic Division and this is the last year of divisions but the Atlantic has been kind of coast uh, Clemson and everybody else uh, and it may still be that way I think Clemson is is still the class of the league but uh, there are some quality teams when you think about NC State You think about Wake Forest now that Hartman's back. You think about what Florida State's doing, and and even Syracuse looking more competitive. So uh, that division now is Mm -hmm. far more interesting than it's been in, in a number of years.
1: Yeah, and NC State, I don't think you can overstate how big that win was Saturday night over Texas Tech. Not to say that the Red Raiders are all that but that's the kind of game that the Wolfpack has been losing for decades. Yeah. Uh, and, and, and that's not an exaggeration. And And to, to get that one, and now you would think should be fairly safe this week against Connecticut, and then to Death Valley in a game that may be the de facto division title game. That's if Clemson can get by Wake Forest on the road. Saturday, I've, I'm I'm really interested in that game. I'm going to go down to, to Winston-Salem on Saturday. I should just go Friday from uh, from Blacksburg. But that's a noon kick Saturday afternoon. That place is going to be sold out. Heck, Wake sold out last Saturday night against Liberty. And, and darn near in a classic look ahead. Because you know the Deacons were looking ahead to A. Clemson, And then be the following week against Florida state and thinking, Oh, okay. We got Liberty. Mm, Not so much. had to survive a two point conversion in the final minute to win.
0: That was a wild one. And it's going to be interesting with Clemson this year, because what we just talked about, I think they're going to be far more battle tested. Uh, if they emerge and go to the college football playoff, which I I think they will. I, I like their chances. I love their defense. Uh, I love NC State's defense, too. Their linebacking core is outstanding. But I think Clemson will emerge, and I think they will emerge far more battle-tested this year because Florida State is good again. NC State and Wake are very good. Uh, Syracuse is functional again. I I think it it will be interesting, again, more opportunity to slip up, more opportunity to lose a game, and and maybe cost the ACC a spot in the playoff. But if they navigate it, uh, or if it's NC State, whoever navigates that will come out to me uh, more ready. For the playoff rigors,
1: I think it's a really good point, Mike. The, the ACC's one nightmare scenario there yeah. would be that they beat up on each other so much that somebody comes out of there and goes to Charlotte for the championship game at nine and three, and that's what you, what you don't want because then they're they're out of playoff contention. Now, when the when it goes to twelve teams, and the ACC champion is all but guaranteed a bid to the playoff, then you feel better about that. But with a four-team model, you don't like that in the least. And just one quick aside about last week's Clemson-Louisiana Tech game. <laughs> as, as folks may or may not be aware of, Brian Burzee, who is perhaps the best defensive player in the conference, Clemson defensive lineman, he lost his younger sister after a long battle to cancer last week and every member of the Louisiana Tech football team wrote Brzee a letter expressing their condolences. And I was just like, wow, what an amazing gesture and one that Brzee and his family will always, always remember.
0: You're going to remember that a lot more than your, your tackle total that day or, or mm-hmm. anything like that. And, um, you know, we, we do hear it and you know, we talked about it with Bronco There there is a lot of good in, in college football. Uh, there's a lot to cringe about. Absolutely. Um, but stories like that are, uh, are kind of what keep bringing us back. I think, right. Yes. The, game, the games are wildly entertaining. You know, w- once we shut up and, and get on the field, it's a great time. And then there are some, some great stories that you just, you just love hearing about. And, uh, we hope, you loved listening today, you can subscribe to Teal & Barber on Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your favorite pods, and please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer and yours truly. Teal & Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe, and please join David and me again next week.